Welcome to Crypto Sapiens, a show that hosts lively discussions with innovative Web3 builders to help you learn about decentralized money systems, including Ethereum, Bitcoin, and DeFi. The podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Crypto Sapiens is presented in partnership with Bankless DAO, a movement for pioneers seeking freedom from the limitations of the traditional financial system. Bankless DAO will help the world go bankless by creating user-friendly on-ramps for people to discover decentralized financial technologies through education, media, and culture. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this show, Ontology. Ontology is a project bringing trust, privacy, and security to Web3 through decentralized identity and data solutions. They are the builders of the Ontology blockchain, OntID, OScore, Onto, and Wink Finance. Get your decentralized identity today by creating your identity wallet with Onto. Visit ont.io to learn more. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Humpty Calderon. Today's episode was recorded at MCON in Denver, Colorado between September 15th and 17th. The recording comprises a series of vignettes with builders in attendance to learn a little bit about them, their projects, and their experience at the conference. The discussions were edited for clarity and brevity. Let's get started. First up is Ivan, head of partnerships at Aragon. During our conversation, we talk about the current state of DAOs and the tools that Aragon is building to help govern them. Let's take a listen. Right, right. Uh, so I'm Ivan. I run partnerships in BD at Aragon. Joined the team like three months ago. And before that, I've uh, done a bunch of like real world jobs, management consulting, a bit of M&A, uh, sustainability stuff. And I've also built the institutional uh, business line of Nexo, like the CFI lender. Uh, but yeah, I was I was very excited to jump with Aragon and uh, join the DAO movement full, back full time in crypto. Uh, really excited to be here at MCON and thanks for having me. Um, a bit about Aragon. So basically, I think past the DAO, uh, we are basically the OGs of, of DAOs. Um, you know, we started building DAO infrastructure back in 2017, 2018. Uh, have a 1,800 DAOs built on our infrastructure, a little over more than that. Um, and, you know, historically what, what we've had as, as, as a position has been like this full stack, one-stop shop sort of uh, thesis around DAOs. But, you know, with the explosion of the space and like a lot of, a lot of DAOs, um, you know, starting to need different types of services and, and projects developing to like meet those needs, uh, it, it made a lot of sense to have a more uh, composability vision of the world and, and, and especially without tooling. And, uh, you know, this, this aspect of you take the output of one system and you use it as an input for another one uh, and played a big role into the rise of DeFi. Uh, we see that as... A, a very tested in the space thesis of how things should be built. And like it also aligns with the ethos of of doing things in the open. You know, it's like collaboration between teams. Let's let's make sure whatever we are shipping out is compatible and is useful to the different communities out there. 
Walk me through the Aragon product. So it's a governance tool, right? So like a DAO OS. If right. someone wants to start a DAO with Aragon, what do they have to do? Uh, they go on Aragon and they uh, click on launch, launch a DAO. Uh, at the moment, we have uh, two main setups. Uh, one which is more traditional and it's uh, it's a more uh, encompassing suit. So you can do like a bonding curve fundraise. It, there is like a programmatic multi-sig uh, availability, um, different templates of, on, of an organization. So you can have like a membership, which is like non-transferable, one, one address, one token sort of setup. You can have like a very traditional you know, uh, liquid token uh, weighted voting. Um, so, so different different setups uh, and and quite flexible. And that tool is also on Polygon since uh, I think two weeks ago, which is pretty sweet. Because the cost of launching an Aragon DAO went from like five hundred dollars, which was an issue, like an actual issue for for people to start experimenting. To depending on 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 network load, you can like launch an Aragon DAO on Polygon in under a dollar, I think. Um, and then like the other, another um, setup that we've uh, recently launched and it's sort of a more, I would say experimental for the space at this point is uh, Govern, which is uh, optimistic governance framework, meaning uh, it's inspired by the lazy consensus idea that basically people are aligned by default on what they need to do. So you would schedule an action put up some collateral, schedule an action, and then after a waiting period passes, if nobody challenges it, the action gets executed. And like during that waiting period, if this action is not aligned with whatever, uh, so for example, if you have like a, a written contract or like a manifesto of, a, of your DAO, and like if the action conflicts that manifesto, you can challenge that action, and then you go to Aragon court, which is like a dispute resolution uh, product where you can, you know, figure out who's right and who's wrong. Uh, and like that makes a lot of sense for certain use cases. Like uh, we can we can we can see that playing out, for example, in like an capital allocation now where you can't really wait for consensus of all members just because opportunities are time bound. And like if you have to rally everyone to agree to something, you know, you might miss it's, out. It's a good way to measure your most active community members or anyone that aligns with that particular subset of governance, right? Yeah. So who can vote on Aragon? So you're saying that you have these two different platforms for voting. You have uh, Govern, uh, which is your lazy consensus model, right? So do you have to be a token holder? Uh, how, do, how does that token get weighted? So uh, on both, uh, on, on both Govern and Client, uh, you can... You can do a token weighted voting. So you know you spin up your DAO, like you you, you have some sort of, of way of distributing the tokens to 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 members. That could be a bonding curve. You can just say, okay, those wallets are going to be the members, and like at creation, you can attribute to them a certain number of tokens. Um, and you know the the voting mechanism is is basically uh, token weighted at this point. Uh, for the sake of spam protection. In the lazy consensus optimistic framework, there you could put in a threshold of a minimum stake in the DAO to like schedule an action. Uh, but you know that's that's up to the, the the community to like 
set up however they see most uh, well serving their purposes. Up next is Steven, founder and CEO at Harmony. We talk about the Harmony ecosystem, building cross-chain bridges, and incentivizing development of the DAO ecosystem. Here we go. What's your experience so far? What are you taking away from this event? It's been fantastic. The hosts really take care of the people, but thinking a lot about building, for sure about DAOs. But actually all the cool people come here. Uh, we met so many San Francisco friends right here to think about like how to build together. Yeah, honestly, I think this is one of the more, um, I, I don't want to call it casual, but certainly one of the more um, energetic. For sure. And, and definitely it, it's really about the, the philosophy of Absolutely. what is crypto, what are DAOs doing, yeah. how does governance fit into it. Yeah. So what is Harmony's positioning in Web3 and how does that intersect with DAOs? Yeah, we just announced the 100 DAO initiative with 300 million fund just last week. So I'm glad that we started with that framework, coming here to ask people, what, they, what do they think would be the next DAO that they want to start? What would be the tools that they need? So for Harmony, we have been building the platform that was uh, very good for the last few years and been building Bridge since last year. Now the next thing is, what will be the next impact that we can bring to the people? We know DeFi is great, NFT has got everyone talking, but we think DAO will be the ultimate impact on many of the people. Well, I like to think of DAOs like it's the community initiative, right? So I think for any, any project, whether you're a layer one blockchain, whether you're an NFT platform, uh, whether you're a DeFi protocol, it's all about community, isn't it? So I think DAOs really are that initiative that was built by communities they're running towards the same goals and they're executing, you know, and then collaborating and coordinating, hopefully. Exactly that. So whether Ethereum or Harmony is really a platform to enable people to do their things, right? But with the people that whether they like or will bond to create values. So what you, how you define DAO is exactly how we are thinking, right? This group of people, it's not about taking a product or wallet from Harmony or Ethereum. They just want to group together to create a next value. Whether initiating some, buying a basketball team or like buying a land, it's up to them, right? What will be the tools that allow them to do that? How do they manage the asset over the time? I think that's the story of DAO. Yeah. So walk me through. So for anybody who's not familiar with Harmony, what is Harmony? What are some of the things they can do today? And what are some of the things that it's looking to do into the future? Mm -hmm. So Harmony started almost four years ago now, thinking about what would be the scalability for Ethereum. So we got the sharding, right? So sharding and proof of stake is really where Ethereum 2 is heading to, that we are building out the mainnet for. Keeping ourselves to be Ethereum virtual machine compatible really help many of the Ethereum developers or just new blockchain people with the full toolings, right? Since then, last year, we have been doubled down on the bridge initiative. So our current really big story is, can we bridge to all the chains, right? Ethereum is great, but finally there are a few mainnets that people want to talk to. Binance Smart Chain, Cosmo, Polkadot is what we have the bridge for. Now the next story is, now with all these tools, how do people use it, right? We come up with the one wallet that to help people even beyond origin to not to worry about your past 
faces, seed faces, capital. It's what we think that even Dao people don't want to deal with all these like MetaMask and uh, uh, hardware wallets. Mm -hmm. So that's our story for our users. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, I like that you're talking about like building things that are accessible, easy to use. Crypto certainly isn't. You know, uh, you know, the Web three space has got a promise of allowing people to like own, you know, that information, uh, be able to like monetize that information. But you know, we really want to like engage that next level audience, Absolutely. not the small community that we are. We need to build tools and communities that are accessible that can onboard them easily. Right? Exactly that. So DAO is really a great concept, even people who grasped, right? It's not like you need to sign up your life for a few years to join a company. It's not like you need to do um, your manager and performance review to contribute. Same thing with the asset they hold, right? It's just a few people you trust and you can, whether investment or pull together resources, amazing primitives. Same thing with the wallet. Right. If people can finally understand why Gnosis is safe of a multi-sig, people can start using that. That change everything. That you don't need an accountant, a lawyer to authorize anything. And we think the last mile is actually how not to give the KYC email your identity even to Arjun. I don't know all the audience whether they use Arjun before. We love Arjun. We love the concept of social recovery. But one step further will be something just using your one-time password generator, something like Google Authenticator, will completely change. Just like, uh, I would say, um, Uniswap moment, that a automatic uh, market, uh, uh, market maker would be just a curve to allow you to do any trace. How does that one, one password, one wallet, integrate and support that initiative, like for empowering people with their identity? Exactly that, right? With different DAOs, whether even with your Web2, Twitter uh, reputation, that should be, there will be a lot of innovation as you will be putting on to think about reputation identity. But what are the primitives though, right? If all of us are still thinking about going to centralized exchange to do any trace, to sign for anything, any, if any identity is tying back to our national identity with passport, with an email, with your mobile phone, with your SMS, even with your like photos, then that's not really the identity of the future. We think that the only identity that the virtual world should have is just a private keys. But how to protect that private key is a recursive question, right? Now that you have the primitive private keys, how to protect it? We think that finally, actually, we come up with a research paper that said, if you can even generate uh, the six digit every 30 seconds, it is good enough. So what are like the next steps for kind of continuing to, um, you know, grow that ecosystem and onboard new users to use that system? Yeah, finally, we really believe that uh, there's so many products to try. People shouldn't talk about like NFT or tokens or definitely not price anymore, but what product they can use and try, right? Something like Rabbit Hole to onboard people, like uh, they, they have been saying learn to earn. It's something we have also launched too. Try out these 10 products. Many of them are very similar to Ethereum, right? You swaps, you buy NFT, you try this monolithic wallet. It's our daily challenge. Whoever actually finished trying 10 products, like just benchmark themselves, it's like going for a race. We think it's very critical for onboarding users, right? Educating them, like whether it's just within a day or take a week to figure out is the best way. Yeah, you know, I think one thing that I personally see Harmony doing a lot and doing well is engaging developers. I've seen the number of bounties 
and hackathons that Harmony is supporting. Why does Harmony do that? Like, what's the value for Harmony to do something like that? Yeah, absolutely. There's only one percent of people that been knowing or even touching any like tokens or even NFT. We are still so early that we should be helping each other. Whether Ethereum or any other like protocols, for sure, any NFT project or any DAO initiative. That we want to tell the rest of the 99% of people, so that with 10 billion people in the future, all of us will build in the future that we like. Next, we have Deacon and Ven, co-founders of Dao House. We explore the origins of Dao House, its relationship with Moloch Dao and Meta Cartel, and its emergent development driven by the needs of the Dao community. Here we go. Hi, I'm Deacon. Um... We were a co-founded Dow House with Ven and um, Sam and a, and a few others. It actually started as a, a hackathon project in ETH Berlin a couple years ago. Um, tight origin story with Meta Cartel, obviously, um, and um, yeah. So uh, I'm a developer, and uh, so that's kind of my role in this space usually. Although now I end up. On podcasts and stuff too. Yeah, I think it comes with the with the game these days, right? You need to be able to like also talk about your product yeah. and educate and engage with the community too. So awesome, thank you, Ben. What's up? Yeah, it's actually been cool to see that uh, transition because I know Deacon very well. He's an amazing coder, uh, and I know him as a good friend and a good community person. But yeah, he definitely does a lot of community stuff nowadays. Um, you know, organizing and coordinating devs around the ecosystem and. Uh, various different things. It's been really cool to see uh, that actually. See me come out of my cave. Yes, exactly. It's been really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you really liked it too, though, right? I don't yeah. know. I think I've seen you felt rewarded by that. That's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, so me, uh, I'm Ben, and uh, my main focus in Dow House is, well, I guess started mostly on like UX, UI product stuff, helping on the design side of the thing. And uh, thinking about the user experience of being in DAOs and, you know, all that stuff. DAO House, even at the ETH Berlin hackathon, you know, we thought about it as very social. Like, we had already, you know, even before there were a lot of DAOs, we realized that uh, there is a social graph there once there are many DAOs. And we can see that, you know, you're in a DAO and I'm in a DAO and, oh, you're in a different DAO and maybe I should check that out. So that's like the beginning of this, like, social graph, right? So... I don't know. So, I, yeah, I kind of always brought that kind of uh, idea. But, um, but, yeah, so mainly, you know, started out mostly design stuff. But, yeah, as the community has grown and things, like, now there's, like, a lot of other design contributors. Um, so I end up doing a lot of coordination stuff and just, like, making sure that coordinating various different, you know, uh, initiatives throughout the community and making sure that those, you know, everybody knows how to use those processes and trying to, like, ensure that whenever we do a new thing, because we're always pushing, we're always experimenting on the absolute edges of all the things that are possible uh, for our own purposes, but also for, you know, if we learn a thing from one of our, uh, you know, experiments, then that's the thing, that's a learning that we can share with other communities, you know. Um, so we definitely, we're just constantly experimenting on the edges, as well as, you know, just maintaining and, you know, slight enhancements, but also like radical experiments on the edges. Um, yeah. Right. So give me an introduction. When was Dow House uh, launched? And then how far has it come? Because a lot changes on a daily basis, right? So how far has it come since then? Well, it's really important how it started. Really, really important. And the important part is, yeah, like what he hinted on, which is like, um, you know, so there was one Malik Dow contract uh, that Malik Dow itself that was its contract. And then there was Meta Cartel, which was just taking that contract, 
uh, deploying it. Now you have another DAO, uh, you know, in your own contract. And then, so we built an interface on that because the DAO needed an interface to, you know, the members of the DAO needed to vote and all that stuff. They weren't going to interact with the contract directly. Uh, so we, some of the members of MetaCartel, like us and uh, James Zhang and some of the, like now CollabLim, but previously more bridge focus, like just collaborated on, let's build the most like forward thinking front end that we can for the DAOs currently. We like meta transactions in there and all kinds of crazy stuff. But yeah, Deacon, it looks like you wanted to add something to that oh, too. Oh, contract wallets and... Uh, well, yeah. yeah, sorry. TLDR though is that the it's emergent. It's everything that DAOs has ever been has always been built on an actual need. So like community members need to coordinate. Let's give them the minimum thing to do that and then watch and like participate with them and see how it works and iterate with the actual community uses. We've never ever gotten gotten ahead of ourselves well again well, we do experiment on edges yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but we focus on what is needed right now and always have so dow house was that it was like there was a guy behind us makoto trying to deploy his own malik dow contract and he, you know having troubles and whatever so literally that's where dow house came from as oh well there are people trying to deploy it they don't know how to do it so let's just give them a little factory so they can deploy their own malik dow contracts okay well now there's this interface let's just give them make sure they all have interfaces too they can just get up and running so yeah. Yeah, and it, so that the early day was just the the one contract for MetaCartel uh, and the one interface for for that, and then as we saw more and more people launching these Moloch contracts, we saw that there was a need to be able to uh, deploy the contracts and have an interface all there and be able to. And then to go to Vin's point earlier, it's like then that's when we started seeing like oh, you know, people are in once you're in one DAO, it's like you you want to find the other DAOs that you can join. Um, and you find other things that are interesting to you and you find other places uh, through this kind of more social um, network of DAOs and, and um, that's kind of where that DAO house, more of a discovery and exploration and metrics analytics kind of platform was born out of. Yeah, so it sounds like, like you said, it's emergent. There's a lot of things that are being built out at DAO house today. So I am coming in, I want to launch my own DAO, I go to DAO House, and what do I do? How do I get started? First thing I would say, actually, especially if you're like super new to all of it, then just come into the Discord. It's like an enormous community. There's like a, there are roles. It's all just like a big RPG, basically. Uh, where, so, and there's a summoner track. So if you're like someone who's looking to summon a DAO, just jump in the Discord, grab the summoner role. It'll like feed you into the other channels where people are talking about those things, you know, like, uh, you know, sharing, hey, I'm thinking about doing a DAO like this. What do you, what does everybody think about it? So it's just like, you know, so I would just start there to get general ideas and stuff. Yeah. Um, that, and I think that's been a bit of a theme here at the conference too, is like what happens first when you're getting a DAO going. So to actually launch the DAO contract and interface from the DAO house uh, app is actually really easy. It's a couple clicks and you just hit launch. But um, then maybe you're, you're not doing the kind of the first community things that need to happen, you know. Um, are you are you converting a current community to something more on chain, or are you building a brand new community? Um, there's a lot of different strategies uh, and a lot of different things we've learned through doing a whole bunch of these now. Um, so yeah, just hop in our Discord, join some of the conversations, and that's probably the best place. Or just go for it. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, you're bringing up something in terms that's I think. Uh, important, if not critical, for DAOs, and that's communities. Um, you know, what is a DAO? It's just a group of people, right, that are working towards a common goal. But if you don't have that group of people, then do you really need a DAO? 
or even if you have an organization, do you really need a DAO? You really need to identify that. Yeah, I think that it's important to like, I think every organization could probably be a DAO, but to actually think of the strategy around how that would work is important. So DAO House, the product team is actually a DAO, which I think if you're, if you're building a DAO platform, then it makes sense to be a DAO. Um, and so we're all, we're a hundred percent community uh, driven, um, uh, community funded, community contributions. Uh, it's all, it's all a DAO. It's DAOs all the way down. Um, so that's, uh, I think that is important. And one thing that you mentioned, excuse me, early was uh, social graphs. And I've seen a few folks uh, do it really well in terms of like how they capture these social graphs. But really, it's like, how do you take that and make take make something meaningful from that, right? So some of the folks that I've seen do it uh, and, 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 and do it well is like Bright ID, right? With what they're doing with those social graphs. But it's like, what's the next step? And I think they're kind of positioning themselves to what that next step is. Coordinate, same thing in terms of like how it has a graph of, you know, communities. And then there are sub-communities and they then contribute to one another to kind of facilitate this economic value as well. Right, right. So, and that's, I think, an interesting thing with, with the kind of DAOs we work with, are, which are more permission. So it's like, for example, Raid Guild, to get into the Raid Guild DAO is actually a very long process of uh, multiple interviews, of onboarding into the community, of taking on some open source work and taking on some client work and all these things before you're actually like admitted in. So you're, you're vetted by the other hundred members when you actually become a member of Raid Guild, um, which is now a signal in the core team, right? So there's like, um, there's also kind of the larger membership of the Raid Guild DAO by owning the token, but, but the the membership of like of your address becoming actually on that contract as a member, like uh, on the Malik Dow contract, it's gone through a lot of vetting, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of examples across all the DAOs on our on our platforms that there's like this membership vetting, and and so you can start to like take some uh, you can start adding some reputational and uh, identity kind of things to an address without the person ever actually having to dox themselves, you know? They've just become members of different DAOs and been vetted by hundreds of people each time they do that. Yep. Um, so in the future, as DAO House continues to evolve, what can we expect? Um, yeah, so we just uh, launched this integration with Zodiac from Gnosis. Um, it's really powerful, basically, you know, the way we see DAOs in the future isn't gonna, like, we don't see them all as like, token-gated chats and token DAOs. We don't see them all as permissioned Moloch DAOs or, um, or see them all as comp token kind of DAOs. Um, everything's going to be connected together, you know, in different ways. And so having um, these interfaces where, you know, so now a Moloch DAO can, can control a Gnosis safe. Um, you have ways for like a, a small group or a team or an executor group to be on a safe and actually roll into a, a a DAO with non-transferable governance. Um, or you can have a, a DAO like Moloch DAO own multiple different safes, or you could have like multiple Moloch's, the signers on a safe. So there's all these kind of new interesting configurations and that's gonna be a lot of experimentation to see what kind of things actually work. And, and um, you know, and, and so you, I think that's our future is we wanna continue doing that. Um, we also rolled into uh we're okay we've worked on our kind of dev 
setup, our DevX, our de developer experience. So now uh, contributors can come in from our like kind of crappy hackathon project two years ago. Contributors can actually come in and build off of these form Legos we've made, which are basically just, you can put a form to have a DAO manage any arbitrary contract on the net. Um, we launched on Arbitrum this week, where we've got Cello and Phantom and Optimism all up to bat. Um, so we want to be kind of everywhere and be a tool that everyone can use, and, and the cross-chain stuff is going to be a big one too. So. Yeah, it's like, yeah, probably just reinforce that, I guess. But yeah, like DAOs are just coordination mechanisms. That's all it is. And uh, there's been many conversations. I don't know if it was here, but um, you know, all and uh, organizations are just groups of people. Um, and you know, it's not always a corporation or whatever. It's literally just groups of people who need to coordinate. They can use DAO tools. And then, so I feel like a big part of uh, you know, DAO House has been really simplifying and, uh, you know, through observing and participating in it and interacting with so many com communities, ex exploring so many different types of uh, coordination and for different purposes, making money, making art, doing, you know, all the different things and seeing all those commonalities and finding those commonalities. Now we can start, you know, getting more simple uh, into like these tiny blocks that can just be plugged in into. Uh, to allow groups of humans to coordinate however they want to. So, you know, so the Malak Dao contract or whatever is just like the core kind of membership role so everybody knows everything's safe. Uh, but then you can just plug into whatever you want, add whatever coordination mechanisms you need, staying very simple so that because, as we all know, the space is very, very fast, contracts can be written in a day. Um, and if it's an awesome coordination mechanism, then just we can plug it right into Dao House with minimal effort, and now all Dao's have access to that excellent coordination yeah, mechanism. Like really so. small coordination tools, like we saw some from Gitcoin yesterday with the tip party stuff, and um, you know, like just plug those right into a Dao, so it's run by a Dao. Um, like the Dao is really just kind of like an individual in itself. It should be able to do everything, just like we can do everything through our wallet. Now we have James Young and Anjali Young, CEO and CCO, respectively, of Abridged, the company that develops CollabLand. We talk about the growth of the DAO movement starting with the DAO, CollabLand's role in unlocking mainstream adoption of crypto, and the trust and coordination barriers that DAOs are trying to solve. Their energy is contagious, and it's hard not to get excited about the DAO space after talking to them. Let's hear what they have to say. My name is James Young. I'm CEO of Abridged. My name is Anjali Young, and I'm CCO of Abridged, and we're the makers of Collabland. Great. And so what is Collabland? Collabland is a bot currently on Telegram and Discord that does token-gated access for chat. So you can think of each channel, whether it's in Telegram or a Discord server, as like a nightclub. And the Collabland bot is the bouncer. And you need special tokens to get in. And the bot knows, because it's on the blockchain, when you've moved those tokens out of your wallet and you get booted if you don't meet the minimum requirement to be in the club. So it's like the passport to get in, but it's also the background check to make sure that you continue to hold. So the bot checks 
mm, started around f every four hours. Now it's about every six to eight hours. It makes sure that you have that same token still in your wallet. Right. Well, in your wallet, but associated with your wallet. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what was the inspiration for Collabland? Because, I mean, it certainly probably wasn't something that already existed, but maybe it was an idea and DAOs maybe or social tokens were the inspiration for it. How did that come to be? Yeah, that's a great question. So I am a developer and I help build out Moloch, which is a DAO framework. And what I thought when we launched the DAO was that it was really hard and we got to make this as accessible as possible to the user. So the idea was instead of telling people to go to a website, can we bring the DAO to them? And what's the most natural place that people congregate? And so we identified chat as that initial spot. We started on Telegram because that just seemed the place where a lot of crypto native people were congregating for whatever reason. We saw that people were using the token gated chat, but they weren't using our DAO functionality. So, you know, if we can get into this, but we have a lot of features that are on the shelf for Collabland that we're waiting for the market to catch up when it comes to DAOs and interoperability. I have a lot of opinions there, but we saw from our, the data that people are just using the token gated chat. So we're like, okay, if people are using the token gated chat and that's going to become a thing, can we move to another platform? One that is more, you know, known and Discord is on the rise. Uh, I know Jason Citron, the CEO of Discord. We've chatted about crypto before, and he's helped us um, as we, because we have gotten explosive growth on Discord specifically and actually talking with Discord. And so um, we moved to Discord, and this is where I would like to believe that we helped with the unlock when it comes to mainstream adoption of crypto. And that's really the focus. Yeah, and so it started off with social tokens. It started off with social tokens, and then the NFTs started becoming popular. And now it's like, okay, you have a board ape, now what? And so you join a Discord, and in that Discord, we check to see if you have a board ape. And what's happened in these communities has been honestly magic. What I see is people organizing. I see people communicating about the project. Everyone has a mission working together. There's innovation happening. There's coordination happening. It's turned into something that is so beautiful to me because I see now what happens when you have everyone that has the same stake coming into a group together and what that does for a community. And you don't have to stay. If you don't like it, sell your token and go. And so there's always this pressure to know if I'm going to stay, I'm going to make it better. Otherwise, you know what? I don't like what's going on here and I'm going to sell my token and leave. And so it's been a really fun progression, especially for me as an outsider to crypto come in and I'm an improviser. And when people come together and build something together, to me, that's magic. And that's what I'm seeing happening here. Well, I think that speaks to the promise of Web3, right? I know that you all are touching on different elements of that. One of them is the interoperability, right? The other one is the accessibility. The other one is the community engagement, like honest, real community engagement and contributions, right? So I think and the other thing for the listeners, they're not going to be able to like see the energy but you both have like energy that feeds into one another, which I think is like super amazing. And I can say that that can definitely, is probably inspiring some of what's happening at Collabland, right? So 
L- tell we, me a little we, bit. We are husband and wife, so we are kind of the Genesis Dow. Yeah. And what we see as Collabland is our child, our baby, our newborn that we have to nurture. And this newborn child has special needs coming from different community members. So really, I think it's just an extension of just relationships. Right. Right. And what's fascinating is that you have this like trustless asset that allows people online that have never met each other physically to trust one another Mm -hmm. because they're all bound by this token and they're coordinating. And so what does this mean? But they don't have to stay. They're there because they want to. And no matter what happens with that NFT or that token, the people that are there are there to make it better. And they're bringing their best ideas because it is tied to a financial asset. And like it or not, that is something that is building these communities. And so it's a really exciting way to see people communicate with each other to make something better and bigger together. Mm, yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I want to believe, but I need to keep myself in check. Can crypto help solve this like pattern that you see online with communities that eventually all online communities degrade because the troll the bad apple does goes unchecked and it you uh, it, it for whatever reason not having a value that the group is associated with that is financially tied it, it doesn't motivate people to keep bad actors in check right so you were talking about, you know, your relationship with the Discord CEO, I think, right? And I'm curious if, because I've seen recently, like the survey that came out that I was like shocked, but also like really uh, inspired by that someone coming from that Web2 ecosystem is eager to learn how they can contribute to the development of a platform. Currently, there is no good Web3 communication platform. So we really depend on this Web2 ecosystem. I'm curious if like through Collabland, maybe some of this inspiration is coming from like, this can be some, this could be a bridge even from Web2 to Web3, where it could be something that goes beyond what we're familiar with and something that we're maybe expecting from like a Discord today. Absolutely. It is going to be the bridge. Already we see Collabland as being the bridge. Um, And there are more projects coming, Web, not even Web 2 projects, but media projects that now are interested in Web 3 because of Collabland and what Collabland unlocks for them and for communities. And I think this is really the, the, the main goal for us is mainstream adoption. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been in crypto long enough and I've seen that it's really hard to tell people, hey, this is Web 3, come over here. So what we need to do is do it from the inside out. Go to where people are at, right? So when you talk about DAOs, for example, and you say voting and all that, you conjure this imagination of like being in a boardroom. No one wants to do that, right? But if you say it in the context of emoji reply is the new vote, you already know how to retweet. You already know how to like something. That is a signal. So you take the same user behavior, it just shift the meaning a little bit. That's easier for people to understand. And, you know, I've been that guy that has looked down on people saying, you don't get Web3. Right. 
and it doesn't work. Maybe it's not like you don't get Web3, Web3 doesn't get you. Right. Right? We need to kind yes. of switch the thinking. Yes. There. That's right. And yes. what it is that's so amazing is that the time you spend online, what you pay attention to, what you're focusing on, it should benefit you too. Your time matters, your like matters, your retweet matters, you telling your friends about something that you're into matters. It shouldn't be somebody else making money off of that, it should be you. And that is the unlock of Web3. And I am so excited to bring people to that and everyone should have access to that. It's, it's one of those things now where instead of having tell people about Web3, if they can just taste it, you can't unknow it. That's right. That's what we're relying on. I mean, I think the best example of that, not just because you're sitting here, I think Collabland is perfectly positioned to that because it is in the social space, right? There's a social signaling to your point earlier. Where like, what does an uh, emoji reaction mean? You know, a lot of the governance issues that we're having is like trying to rethink a lot of like the hard governance decisions and the soft governance decisions, right? And like, Using Discord as a polling uh, or even just literally like through a retweet or maybe through like liking something in Discord, all that social signaling is important for this soft governance, which that's a lot of the problems can be solved through that. These larger problems, treasury uh, tokenomics problems, certainly that hard governance can come into play, but we really need to unlock first like our social nature. Yes. Right. Yeah. And utilizing tools like Collabland to do that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're super excited. And what we want to do is not just build these tools in the dark. We are trying our best to reach out to communities that are forward thinking, have the same values and build for them. Because if we build for them, then we can then figure out how to generalize. You need to see how people are interacting. You need to watch human behavior. And in a lot of ways, we've always been the same. You know, 150,000 years ago, we were getting into groups for protection. And we're still doing that. We're still going to need groups for protection. It, now it's online and it's the metaverse and whatever, but it's still the same human behavior. So in some ways, we see the same type of behavior, but in other ways, we're seeing innovative new behavior. And really, we're just watching and learning and trying to feed. Yeah, there's an aspect of this that has to do with technology, but not in the details of the technology, but the fundamental kind of belief. When I look at what technology does, technology actually drives culture, right? If you look at the modern city, it was driven by factories, the new mass production of technologies. People lived in farms. There was no me major metro. There might have been like these cities, but it, now what you see, everyone living here, like us being in Denver, is because people moved out of their farms to work in a factory. Like if I showed you my phone and traveled back 10 years, and I say, hey, look at this iPhone. You're like, okay, great. It's like the internet in your pocket and you it's a touch screen. Like, I kind of get it. But then I'm like, no, it's gonna legitimize hitchhiking. And you're like, what? You, you don't understand and we don't know what this technology is gonna unlock, but all we know is what we've experienced. So we project that onto the tech. I'm saying, hold off. Maybe we don't know and let's play. Let's kind of figure it out. What are the advantages here now that like you have access to all of humanity on Earth that has an internet connection? Maybe there are different organizational patterns. Yeah. You know, maybe a lot of like what you're talking about when it comes to 
the soft governance, maybe it's just liking and retweeting a hundred times. You're making a when you're liking and retweeting and you're on Instagram, you're making hundreds of decisions every day. But who does it benefit? Yep, that's yeah. right. You know, it's interesting because I think you're touching on something that you touched on earlier. And the what, what this is, is you were talking about these identities, right? These social identities that we have, but don't necessarily own in terms of like our uh, identity on Discord and our identity on Twitter. How can we leverage these personas that we've created? Through to borrow a line from someone I interviewed, and apologies for not remembering who said this, the proof of work that we put into these social identities, the history going back on Twitter for however long you've owned it, a year, 10 years, and the liking and retweeting, right? That kind of like social signaling that you've done there on Discord, the communities that you've uh, joined and the uh, relationships that you've built and the decisions that you've made while you've been there, how can we leverage that more consistently across a Web3 ecosystem? And so I'm always exploring that and I'm always curious to learn how projects are looking at that because especially for a project like Collabland that really captures like people's interaction in a real way, like on Discord and on Telegram, how can that be leveraged more directly into like governance, into these decisions that are being made in Web3 development? We were just talking about that. We, we talk about identity, decentralized identity, every single day. It is a conversation we have every single day. We have it with different companies, we have it with different um, communities. This is something on, that's on everybody's mind right now. Yeah, and I think it really comes back to the user owning their identity, but that's a huge responsibility. I mean, just imagine like if your identity was tied to your private keys and you lost them, right? And so I think we need to be careful about that and teach people and on-ramp them slowly. And then two, be careful that we're not like unknowingly creating our own Black Mirror episode, right? So there are two sides to this. And I think it will happen, it's inevitable. It's just how we, are we going to make it happen? So I think the pathway to actually make it happen is to make it fun. Keep it light, keep it easy, keep it playful. We don't know. And if you, it's so much at stake, you're never gonna wanna even begin. If it's like, oh, my whole identity is on the blockchain, what does that mean? Because you know what I think is a good idea when I'm 20 years old, it's a little different than what I might think is a good idea when I'm 40 or 50. Well, and that's and what does we, it mean to be on the blockchain forever? But I mean, that, that really goes straight into how what your philosophy is with Collabland too, which is experimentation. You gotta do the experiments and they've gotta be small and they're gonna be fast and you wanna see what people, how they react to it. And if that doesn't work, it's okay. Cause right now we're building something together and we cannot be so stuck in our ways at this point, because the rest of the world isn't here yet, and we need to make this accessible for everybody. And so what we need to do is do little experiments, and that's what we're doing with Identity as well, yeah. which is little experiments, see how it goes, see what the outcomes are, and then being able to iterate, iterate, iterate. A lot of the challenges that we're solving for today are not, gonna, not even the important challenges. These are like the challenges that are teaching us the next challenge and the next challenge. And then we're gonna start discovering like these momentous problems that will really impact civilization, technology, society, 
because it really it touches on sociological issues, psychological issues, monetary issues. So I like that you're looking at it so comprehensively. Yeah, it, you know this. What's really interesting about Web three, for me, and I think this is what we're seeing in Collab Land, is that it's a multiplayer game. Web two, single player, zero sum. Web three is multiplayer, positive sum. And like you said, it's not about going to a destination. When you climb and you get to the top of your mountain, you get a better perspective of the bigger mountains that are there that you didn't see when you're at the base of that mountain,、yeah. and it's just this continual climb. And so, part of this is just trying to move the conversation forward, right? Like, if you think about the internet, the internet is just human consciousness, right? The blockchain just cements it, right? And so. It's this conversation, these collaborations. We have to do it together. It needs to be inclusive. There's no one right way for a person. And this is what's great about crypto. You don't like it, you can take your toys and go somewhere else and start your own group, right? It's permissionless. And so I think this is why you're seeing just this kind of petri dish of just explosive experiments that are happening, and it's just so hard to keep up with. I think the priority, though, is also is what we saw in Web two, and that, you know, now there's Facebook, and there's just a few other places that people go. There's Amazon, and we've learned from those mistakes as well. And so we're we're moving in this space much more intentionally. Yeah, I think that it's not that these companies are evil or whatever the the narrative you want to say is. It's that we as humans. Don't know how to organize except for central manner. We're, you know, it's it's hard, right? And so I think it's like re-embracing this tribal experience, this like smaller groups,、yeah. not dealing with like so many people that are are faceless. So it may not be one platform. It may be your DAO, or maybe you're a part of twenty different DAOs. Maybe you have one identity. Maybe you have. Two identities with like five pseudos.、Yeah. Like, what does this look like? Maybe it's not having one job, but maybe ten part-time jobs. Like, you kind of choose. And I thought that when I started crypto, oh man, everyone's gonna love this, and just wait till next year. <laughs> next year didn't happen. And I'm like, oh wait, this is hard. So maybe it's gonna take ten years. But then COVID happened, and like, wait, maybe it's gonna be three, right? And so it's you. We don't know. And the dynamics change in the micro macro environment. So well, and now with NFTs, it's really sparked an imagination that's bringing more people to it. So this、yeah. is really a moment for us in yeah. crypto. Yeah, and so you know, coming here to this event, we're talking about DAOs, right? And a lot of people are trying to figure out what are the rules. But I would say, like, let's be careful because we don't want to be the ones that say this is how you're supposed to do a DAO. Right, so I think that we want to create the rules, create some process. It can't be complete chaos, but at the same time, keep that open mind. As we wrap up here, what is the vision? What are some of the things we can like be excited for as to what Collabland is going to continue doing and contributing to the space? Yeah. So right now, we are we don't have network effects within Collabland, right? So. We've been growing completely organically. So what we've seen is that someone will install the bot, and then、uh, there'll be members that join that DAO or that NFT or that ERC, the social token community or DeFi community, and then 
they're going to start their own thing. And then they're like, oh, I'll just use what I've seen before and it works and I know how to use it. And now we have these patterns for Collabland, but the bot is there to help serve you, but you don't get to see as a member of one DAO or one NFT community or one DeFi community, what else is out there. And I think the ecosystem is large enough. Uh, we, about two weeks ago, were onboarding about 100, 150 new token communities a week. Per week. Per week. But now it's more like 600, 650 per week. So we're, we're getting this like inflection point. And what we're seeing is we need to make sure that other people know what this ecosystem is about because it's so inefficient. You're just trying to catch up on Reddit, trying to catch up on Twitter. If there was a place where you could discover new communities, what if you could discover new communities based off of the communities that you're in and those members are all with you already and you can just look and traverse through that network graph of people. And so I'm like, wait, then this kind of looks like a social network. So we have to, so we think a lot about that. Lastly, we have MetaDreamer, co-founder of MetaFactory. This discussion is jam-packed with deep insights into DAOs, coordination, and reputation, and provides a wonderful view into the experimentation going on at MetaFactory that seeks to revolutionize fashion. Let's hear what he has to say. Yeah, so um, MetaFactory is basically a composable merch platform for decentralized communities. Um, it's a DAO, and we coordinate artists and designers and projects and um, production factories and all this to, to create merch um, and sort of spread crypto culture. Um, we've been working for like about like one and a half years now. We've done like big drops with like Yearn and Sushi and Meme and you know a lot of a lot of the big communities um, and it's really cool because we're sort of also a secret we're secretly like a decentralized coordination research collective because we're figuring out um, a lot of these ways in which we can, you know, sort of coordinate productive human uh, resources and effort and time and uh, create economies around it and sort of get people involved in DAOs to, um, you know, not just like, you know, create another DeFi thing or something that's like just within crypto, but, you know, uses crypto tooling to like disrupt uh, an industry outside of it, like fashion. Um, and, you know, how can we apply like Web3 DAO coordination and like, uh, use that for um, creating like a, a service DAO essentially where you know um, if every DAO had to like figure out their own merch it would like I wouldn't be wasting so much time and money and effort um, they can just work with MetaFactory we handle all the production costs they don't have to pay anything they earn uh, governance tokens they get ownership of MetaFactory if they collab with us and um, you know we we produce merch uh, better than anyone else can because we have like you know we worked over the last like uh 12 months to like really deepen relationships with production partners and even from the factory side, getting them involved in the DAO and giving them DAO tokens. So kind of like from the guy who's sewing the clothes and making the patterns and getting sourcing the fabrics to the, the people like receiving it, they all have like ownership over MetaFactory and can influence the direction of MetaFactory. And, you know, we, we got to experiment with like all these economics around uh, how can we reward designers? How can we give designers a platform to, to share their creativity? Um, how can we give these communities access to awesome talent to design stuff for them and collaborate and, you know, experimenting with like royalties and even the digital physical aspect where, you know, we want these 
the clothes that you buy, the fashion that you wear to be, uh, it can be like interoperable with the metaverse. So you can wear it in a virtual world and like the physical piece is actually cryptographically tied to the digital asset using like a, a chip embedded in the garment itself. Um, and, you know, so a lot of, I think, really uh, bleeding edge experimentation in like decentralized coordination. Um, that's like the core of Metafactory. And, you know, the, our, our biggest motto is always like, you know, make fun realities and, you know, you can't compete with someone having fun. So, you know, creating something really rewarding and fun to be a part of, you know, it's not really about how can we maximize revenue? How do we like, you know, hit our KPIs and grow as fast as possible? Um, it's more so about how do we serve our communities? How do we, you know, uh, lift up artists and celebrate crypto culture? I mean, I, wow, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. One of the things you talked about, which I am seeing a common theme here, is finding unique, unique applications for DAOs, for coordination, but also for like finding, you know, a way to decentralize that ecosystem. Merch, fashion, definitely some that I don't see a lot of. So how was that inspired? Like what what was that moment where you're like, you know what, we're doing this, let's just Daofy this. Yeah, so um, it was actually in DevCon 5 in Osaka where we realized like all these projects have merch and crypto merch was such a, like, you know, everyone's closet was full of crypto merch, but it was just like logos on Gildan t-shirts, right? And we're like, we can do this a lot better. And especially because, you know, instead of getting every DAO to figure out how to do it on their own and like have to repeat the same mistakes, that's just like make a DAO that helps coordinate it for everyone. You know, so it started off with this idea of like concert merch and, you know, sort of the crypto conference thing. And um, that's when the idea was seeded. And then at ETH Denver 2020 was when, you know, the team was really formed and we really started to get work. And it's crazy because um, ETH Denver 2020 was like right before the pandemic hit like um right after that event it was like full pandemic mode so the birth of metafactory and sort of all the early phases were developed in this pandemic phase which is actually a blessing in disguise because um the whole legacy fashion industry was like you know they're, they're, sh they're flip they got the table flipped on them um versus we designed for like this remote decentralized first you know, how do we streamline production in a global way? How do we like produce things locally and have to minimize how far we ship it? You know, like imagine we set up like when we're actually getting into this now, we have a, a space in Berlin um, and we're going to have a space in New Jersey soon and possibly even in Denver where we set up a micro factory and we can um, hire people to work there uh, and give them DAO tokens. And, you know, you make an order in the States and your product gets produced on demand and shipped from the States, you know, zero waste. Uh, we're not overproducing. That's like a huge problem in legacy industry. We have some people, you know, he's uh, damaged goods. He's working with us now. He's He came from Gucci, actually. You're saying like, you see how if you're actually in the industry you see how messed up things are and how inefficient they are they're using like 1990s software with like expired licenses from 15 years ago and like you know warehouses full of like shoes that just get burned because they overproduced it and they can't sell them at a discount because it would devalue the brand and just so much like it's it's an industry so ripe for disruption and so many people in the industry have such a need because they're stuck in it and like like brands like zara they just like the brand is like really thick and it takes up sucks up the entire market right they suck up all the value and they pay all the designers the creatives the pattern makers um they pay them like salaries like minimum salaries and then don't they don't get any of the share of the upside of royalties or the impact they create 
if like something really pops off, the brand gets all the upside. So um, you have all these amazing creatives that are just serving a brand. And in matter of fact, we kind of want to flip that on its head and have the brand serving the creators and the brand becomes a really thin layer to coordinate. Um, and everyone else creates like uh, squads and projects and makes proposals. And we open up the door for anyone to, to create and, you know, give them access to capital and resources and um, production facilities and whatever they need to make things happen. And, they only have to worry about their specific expertise and everyone can collaborate and work together to fill in our uh, the rest of the gaps and make cool stuff together. That's awesome. I think some of the things that I want to come back to, uh, one of those was in terms of like setting up these standards, right? Like operational standards. One thing that uh, I think is why DAOs are so chaotic and so inefficient right now is that there's a lot of duplication of efforts. Like every single DAO is trying to come up with a legal framework, right? So they have a legal deal. Or they they're interacting with like a legal organization to try to identify how they can operate, you know, how they can protect uh, themselves, their IP, but also their community, right? Uh, or they're trying to find a way to like standardize like media production, all of these things. And so it is extremely inefficient because instead of like creating standards and then sharing them across the entire DAO space, they're they're just having to be reinvented over and over and over. It's just waste time and money, yeah. right? And what I'm loving what you're saying in terms of like what MetaFactory is doing is it's creating these standards. And first of all, it seems like you've captured a very specific part of the market where there's little to no competition. So you're able to kind of own this and create standards and be visible enough where if anybody does come along, hopefully they go, well, MetaFactory has done this. Like, let's lean into them and see how we can leverage this, whether it's through a partnership or to sharing of resources to be able to like scale this. Right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I think like the way we structured everything, it's like really designed to be win-win. Like it, it makes no rational sense for people who are wanting to do merch not to drop it through MetaFactory because even if they figure out all the stuff on their own, um, they'll end up uh, making less money on it because with MetaFactory, we give you ownership of the project with it and we take care of all the production costs. So, you know, um, it's, it, it's nice because we get a... Um, wire up the game theory so like the r economically rational move is to collab with Metafactory and create these open standards and you know we're not trying to sort of have total market share or anything like that we're we're wanting to create tools and public goods and you know playbooks for people to replicate and you know a lot of people in DAOs they just kind of repeat and do what's already worked and not try to innovate and you know there's very few DAOs and I think Metafactory is one of them where we're trying to like really break new ground and go into uncharted territories and experiment and see what works and then share those learnings with everything else. Um, but back to what you said a bit earlier about inefficiencies, um, I think we're starting to realize this in DAOs now where in the last while we kind of structured DAOs in the way like legacy orgs are structured where we have like these big like monolithic organizations which each have their own like design department, their own HR department, their own everything department and you know if you think about like Facebook and Apple and Google, how much of the world's like top talent is just like wasting energy by like doing the same work in these different companies and competing against each other versus, you know, um, I think the, the meta for DAOs now is going to be to like turn organizations on their side and have like a DAO that's like, you know, really mastered like content production and a DAO that's mastered like the legal frameworks and a DAO that's mastered PR um, and you have these like specialized service DAOs that are really good at certain verticals and then they can uh, it's like um, it's like a module that you can attach to your DAO um, and you know usually the way the reason that can happen is like incentive alignment so 
a Google employee is not going to be incentive aligned with an Apple employee because they work for different organizations. But with tokens, we can wire the incentives in much more dynamic ways where um, each of these service styles can have their own tokens and they can do token swaps. So even though we're a part of different organizations, we're all incentive aligned and it doesn't become like a binary thing. Look, I work for this one and I work for this one and we're working against each other. But instead, it's like um, us against Moloch, you know, the God of coordination yeah. failure. So uh, I think that's really where it's going to go. And the DAOs are going to start looking less like, oh, this is Metafactory and I'm going to draw a circle around it. And that's what Metafactory is. But more so, here's like the, it's like a gradient. It's a loose network of people or things connected to Metafactory um, in different degrees. And it's uh, much more fluid and amorphous and um, modular, I think, you know. so. The, there's not going to be strict boundaries between this is this DAO and this is that DAO. There'll be like uh, a much more like gradient mesh. Of, yeah. You know, it's funny because a lot of the discussions that I usually uh, host in terms of these Web3 calls and definitely here at MCON has been on uh, the, you know, composability of governance. Yes. Right. But, you know, I think that there, I, I rarely hear some of what you just said, which is the composability of the DAOs themselves. Um, you know, I think that some DAOs occupy the same space, but you know, I think it's big enough where there's opportunity for several DAOs to operate in that space. If they find unique, you know, uh, you know, unique applications or unique uh, like positioning with what they're trying to do within that particular segment. I think that that is really a valuable takeaway for me because it we should look at this as first of all, communities and individuals in this community being able to contribute amongst. Several DAOs, not just yeah. one DAO, two DAOs, as many DAOs as they want, as long as there's value alignment, they can contribute something, you know, to this project. But also being able to leverage some of the specialties and some of the standards that have been created from other DAOs to kind of compose yeah. like the DAO ecosystem itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think like in terms of DAO composition, um, and this kind of even goes into like uh, society at large, where uh, the unit. The, the smallest unit of a society or a DAO or an organization is an individual, right? So we need, first of all, composability of individuals, right? Where, um, and this comes into like identity and reputation and your work history. Yeah, exactly. Um, where, you know, if the, that's that's the way DAOs can outcompete traditional organizations is like in Metafactory, we, we're, we're working on this actually where um, any artist or creator or technician that does a drop with Metafactory will have a, a cryptographic record on their attached to ETH address um, using DIDs that says that this person worked on this project and did this work. Here's like the feedback that they got. Here's like, um, and all these like are attestations cryptographically verifiable. Um, and there's all these reputations attached to these addresses so you can validate yourself and um, that information then becomes very valuable. It's like almost a new form of internship, right? Um, you want to build up your resume, but this is not just like a, a resume where you're, this is what you're stating. It's cryptographic resume. It's provable. It's composable. It's data that we can run algorithms on at scale and have like networks of talent and capital and, you know, the, the work that you do and the, the credentials that you accumulate um, working for different DAOs will then be transferable between DAOs and you'll instantly be able to like work on this thing from this other DAO if you did this thing in this DAO because that's like a, a proven compatible, you know, so I think composability of identity and, you know, 
um, moving beyond using cryptography just for keeping track of token balances, but using cryptography to keep track of um, values and beliefs and statements. And, um, you know, there's so much value in that. And this is kind of like going into Metacred stuff, but... Um, yeah, which you're segueing beautifully into. So yeah. <laughs> how much of Metacred is being used for, you know, Metafactory? Yeah, this, so... Is something you're building out? Yeah, everything I work on in crypto is basically... Like people ask me like how do i work on like five different DAOs at once um and you know it's kind of like the 80 20 rule where like i can apply 20 percent of my effort in five different DAOs and get like you know 300 percent results um so it's all about finding like the so the point of metacred specifically is uh not DAO tooling for within a DAO, but DAO tooling between DAOs um and the meta layer above it so you know within DAOs, people use coordinate and source cred and you know a, a bunch of these tools but um it's always to distribute tokens and value within that DAO, but there's not as much tooling for between DAOs to DAOs. So in, in Metacred and Metafactory, uh, they're both like very closely like, so the, the prototype of the stuff we're building in Metacred is prototyped in Metafactory. So we try it out in prod, like run a few projects using these tools, like even if it's like a, um, a interactive mock-up, you know, not even a real functional product, but we just, um, iterate on the design and the structure and the UX of it and then see what works and then kind of uh, create a more um, generalized standard open source tooling around that uh, so then other people can use it too because the more easily other people can use it the more interoperable it becomes with each other and the more people can like transfer their skills and expertise so um, there's a lot of awesome people in the community building things around this so you know the convo space has their uh um, trust score, which like aggregates information from like deep DAO and on chain on like what DAOs you're a part of, um, your sales on NFT platforms, uh, your DGEN score, what pull apps you have, and composes them into like a decentralized trust score. Um, and uh, yeah, an aggregate trust score uh, using all your using your address as like the common user identity. So I think the the awesome thing that came out of ethereum and everyone having an eth wallet is now everyone has a public private key pair and that's an amazing tool for composition of identity because um in the web 2 landscape every database has you know its own unique user ids but in web 3 everyone has an ethereum address it's a globally um unified like user id that we can then you know create connections in this social graph between DAOs and organizations and it's not just your data is not limited to a platform or an organization it's owned by you and uh, it, it becomes a much more user-centric web in that way well yeah the promise of web 3 right yeah. it's, it's completely turns web 2 you know on its head yeah in terms of something that is owned and managed and maybe at one point monetized by you yeah. versus currently owned and monetized by someone else yeah right so Give me a brief description of what is Metacred because we're seeing its application, but like what is what what's its mission? Yeah, um, so Metacred is basically supposed to be like an ecosystem wide mechanism for measuring and rewarding value creation. Um, and the idea is to combine like really rich data sources we have around um, identity and trust and reputation. So POAPs, for example, you know, uh, at all these events at MCON, we have a cryptographic record of who was talking to who, who is at which event at what time with which people which is incredibly rich data for identity and civil resistance and all that um and also lifting up information within these communities about coordinate and source cred and publishing these graphs of uh token distributions and then 
um, making it really easy for any community to flow tokens to the members of any other community. Um, so the way I like to think about it is, you know, the whole Web3 ecosystem is like an infinite garden and the garden needs to be irrigated. But the way it's irrigated right now in terms of like how and like the, the water is capital, right? You need capital to flow to like f grow fruit to, you know, have uh, resources um, and have an economy. So the way it happens right now is like we have people carrying buckets of water around trying to allocate capital in certain places, right? So, oh, this thing should get funding and, you know, it's a lot of manual work. Um, and, you know, people, when they're carrying around buckets, trying to allocate water, they'll get thirsty and drink half the water on the way. And like, you know, there's a lot of inefficiency. So what Metacredit is trying to be is like the ecosystem wide, like irrigation network. So we can automate all that um, and have like the, the pipes that can go into all the places. And it's the, uh, we use cryptography to keep track of like, um, what things people believe are valuable. Right. So instead of everyone trying to be like, oh, everyone should like put money on this. This is valuable. And just tweeting it out. We can make cryptographic attestations of that, you know, that this is what I believe is valuable um, because it's it's really hard to come to a global consensus on what's valuable. And, you know, it's it, it, it's literally impossible because everyone has a different subjective view on what's valuable. So how do you come to like some sort of consensus on how to find what's valuable without um, you know, but also take into account the nuance of individual perspectives. So the idea of Metacred is use this primitive tool of making attestations where everyone is just attesting to the things that they find valuable. Um, and what that does is it makes these things quantifiable. Um, whereas the only thing that was quantifiable before was like money. So in terms of value distribution and value transfer, money was invented as a mechanism to like convert one from a value to another. So you can't convert a tomato to a haircut, but you can sell a tomato and buy a haircut. So that's why money was created. But money is in value itself. Money, value is like everything outside of money. Money is just a way to like uh, transfer it around. But because money was objectively measurable and quantifiable, um, you optimize for what you measure. So the whole global economy turned into this game of like, let's maximize GDP. You know, let's just like grow, grow, grow. Like, you know, how do we hit the quarterly benchmarks and keep the number going up forever. Like, and that's not really what we need, right? Um, what we need is like uh, people maximize like happiness and fulfillment and sustainability and, you know, overall health. So um, the goal of Metacred is like, how can we delineate um, value from money and how can we quantify and measure value in ways that aren't monetary only? Because, you know, the, the way the world works right now, the people that get paid the most are the people that sit at the intersection of monetary transactions. So if you're an investment banker, you're sitting at the intersection of money moving around, so you're gonna make a shit ton of money. But if you're a teacher, there's no transactions happening, so you're not gonna get paid that much. Even though a teacher is creating way more value for society than an investment banker is. Uh, the reason for that is, you know, because they don't set the monetary level, they don't, they don't get those value flows. So when we can map out all these things that are valuable. So, you know, at this conference, people can say, oh, Yaler, he set up so much stuff, you know, that was valuable. People can like give him props, um, you know, and we can map out all these like things. Uh, it just goes into like retroactive public goods funding where if we have records of what things people thought were valuable in the past, then we can easily permissionlessly flow capital to those things, right? So um, it starts to, um, and then in, in DeFi, it's amazing that we have these protocols for finance where we can um, like sushi and yearn and they become hubs for capital to accumulate but uh, we need mechanisms to disseminate that capital as well into the ecosystem in efficient ways right because 
uh, we can concentrate capital and that's powerful, but if we cannot redistribute it out, it's, it's going to cause a lot of problems, you know? It um, just becomes a feedback loop. Yeah. Yeah. And then it doesn't scale. It doesn't grow. It doesn't yeah. evolve. Yeah. Um, we had this thought experiment, actually, like imagine you had an economy where everyone got paid $200 an hour, but um, you could only keep a max of like $5,000 in your bank account. Um, so in that economy, the total amount of money you would need is not that high. Um, but you could pay everyone a lot of money and have a really functional economy because if people can't keep more than $5,000 in the bank account, they're forced to spend it. And if they're forced to spend it and they want to make the most of it, they're forced to spend it effectively. So people are always moving money around and the money is flowing through the system and it's not getting stuck in these pockets of like people just stacking, you know, wealth in their bank accounts to hold, uh, you know, the scarcity mentality. So um, I think you know, with, with all these tools and DAOs, we'll, we'll be able to move society away from a scarcity mentality where um, we can give them the safety of like, you know, you know that your social foundation is going to be taken care of. Um, and then on top of that, people can do what they want, experiment, like uh, not just like, you know, work nine to five for like 20 years trying to pay off a mortgage, but instead do what really fulfills them and like what they can, uh, the, the most value that they specifically can provide to the world, right? Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's really what it's all about. And that's a wrap. This episode was a joy to produce. The intimate, in-person conversations that I had with community leaders and developers were priceless. I truly hope you enjoyed it and were inspired by these remarkable people and projects. If you'd like to learn more about them, please check out the links in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this discussion, please give us a follow, like, and a five-star review wherever you enjoy your podcast. And stay tuned for our next discussion.